right. How's everybody doing? You guys are having fun there in the front, I see. Um, like Alex said, I, I was out of town for two weeks. I've actually never been out of town like two consecutive Sundays since my honeymoon 10 years ago. So uh, it was a, a big thing for me, and um, uh, I missed you guys. I missed you guys a whole lot. I was on vacation with my family, and then one week I was on tour with Pastor Bob in the New England area training pastors. And this was an amazing blessing for us, hundreds of pastors that we talked to. A lot of the things that we talked to them about is what's happening here at our church and how we do some of the things that we do. Um, it was also an amazing experience for me personally because I've never been to New England. I've never been to New Hampshire, Connecticut, Massachusetts. I was in Boston. I went by the garden. And as I drove by the garden, I said, hey, can you stop? I need to spit on the ground real quick because uh, that's where the Celtics play. Even though we have Ray Allen now, so, uh, you know, it's an awesome thing. Um, but it was, a, it was a real intense couple days. We took two planes. We were on about four or five trains and a few cabs and a couple crazy pastors drove us around. But nothing was crazier than our last night in Brooklyn. We ended this whole trip in New York. Um, anybody from Brooklyn in the house? Oh, we got one guy. Nobody else? Two? Two? Three? All right, don't lie now. Don't lie. Um, we actually uh, stayed in a pretty nice hotel, believe it or not, Brooklyn. They're kind of changing things around. Um, but it was like an industrial building. All right, I brought a picture of it that they turned into this like European boutique. You see like the cab drivers, there's a Staples next door and bam, right in the middle, this real cool boutique looking hotel. Here's pictures of, of the lobby. All right, nice lobby. And then we got to the room. Check out this room. I mean, this was like the nicest room we had been in like all the whole trip. And, um, and I was wondering, I mean, we're staying in Brooklyn. Why can't we stay in Manhattan and Times Square? He's like, no, no, this is a nice hotel in Brooklyn. I had a nice little desk area. And um, it was about 2 a.m. And we were tired. We had been talking all week, a bunch of pastors hanging out, going to lunch, going to dinner. And, you know, it was like, bam, I was exhausted. We actually snuck in a little tourist stuff in the morning in Boston, took a duck tour, then jumped on a train in Connecticut went all the way to Grand Central, walked to Times Square, had dinner, snapped some pictures on Facebook, you know, stuff. And, um, and I say all that to say it's 2 a.m., we're exhausted, we're a little out of it. We're about to get into, into each of our beds, and, and I look over to the bathroom and check out what I saw. So me and Pastor Bob are in this room, and uh, I wonder why you're laughing, right? You know... We're getting ready to go to bed, and I'm like, hey, Bob, check out this bathroom. And we just start cracking up. And then the room got kind of awkward and quiet. And he said, call the front desk right now and ask him for another room. We need a private bathroom. And so I call the front desk, and uh, I'm like, hi, uh, I wanted to know if we could have another room. And he's like, oh, is there a problem with your room, sir? I'm like, no, the room's awesome. It's great, but we're on a business trip, and I'm, I'm here with my boss and it's kind of awkward you know to kind of share that bathroom with him and and he's like real nice and he's like hey man i'm sorry but all of our rooms are the same to which i understood mark you're out of gas right um and so i wouldn't have a problem if i was sharing this room with my wife and i'm like laying down in the bed and she's taking a shower in this glass encased shower some may say, wouldn't you enjoy that, Mark, right? Maybe. Um, uh, but if I'm 
laying on the couch watching ESPN and Pastor Bob's in that glass in case shower. That'd be kind of weird. And so um, I'm like, Bob, you know, I have this ritual that I have every morning. And um, I think it'd be kind of awkward for you to be in the room. And uh, how about we come to an agreement? If one of us needs privacy, we tell the other one, hey, we need some privacy. And the other one walks out and, uh, and calls home or something. And then when we're done, we say you can come back in the room. And so that's what we did the next morning. Um, I said, hey, uh, Bob, uh, I need some privacy. He went outside, called Carrie. And then when I was done, I'm like, hey, you need some privacy. He's like, yeah, I went out, called my wife. And then after a while, I'm like in the hallway. I'm like kind of bored. And there's some dude saying, hey, uh, he asked me, like, what do you, you know, are you all right? Are you lost? And I'm like, nah, you know, my friend's in the, there using the bathroom. And he's like, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, so I'm out here. He's like, oh, I'm going to the roof. You want to come? A roof of the building. I'm like, sure, let's go. And so we get in the roof of the building. Awesome view of like New York City, of the Statue of Liberty, of the Empire State Building. And if you follow me on Instagram, I took a couple pictures and I I put them up there. And then um, the guy was still up there. He called a friend and I'm like, you know, I got to go back. And I I get in the elevator and I press number six. That's the floor we were on. And and it's like, oh, is this thing broken? And then I'm like, oh, this is one of those fancy elevators where you got to put your room key but I left my room key in the room. So I'm stuck in this elevator now. And finally, I end up in the lobby. And there's this nice New Eurekan lady there at the lobby. And I want any New Eurekans? New Eurekans? Yeah. And uh, same people from Brooklyn. And uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, uh, I don't have my room key. Um, and I explained to her, you know, there's a situation, I'm here on a business trip, and, you know, we're giving each other privacy in the bathroom, and she starts laughing, says, oh, no problem, give me your ID. And I'm like, I don't have my wallet either, you know, I just ran out of the room, can you please let me back in? She's like, sorry, if you don't have an ID, I can't let you in the elevator, and we have to call your friend. I'm calling Bob, and he doesn't pick up the phone, apparently he has the same ritual that I have, you know? And so I was stranded in the lobby of this hotel, and I I was so frustrated. I felt so stupid. How could I leave my room without my key? How could I leave the room without my wallet and my ID? Has this ever happened to anyone? You leave the house, and you leave your ID in the house. You leave your license in the house, and then that's the day you get pulled over. You know, and the messed up part is that it's always the day that you need it the most that you don't have it. Am I the only one that this, ha- this has happened to? No. We've all had moments like this in our life. Not just with a physical ID, but when it comes to our personal identity. Our whole lives, people have been asking us, what are you going to be when you grow up? Where are you from? Where are your parents from? We get this a lot down here in South Florida. Where, where are your descendants from? Are you Cuban or Colombian or Irish or Italian? What kind of music do you listen to? Where do you live? This is a popular one this time of year. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? What do you do for a living? People are trying to ID us. People want to know what our identity is. And many times, we we may not have an answer to these questions. For many of us, we're not entirely sure who we even are yet. And when it comes to certain things, we're like, you know, I don't know. Or we pretend or we make things up. Even when it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes there's certain things that we're not really sure about. And at times 
When we're uncertain about our ID, about our identity, we feel stranded just like I was that morning in the lobby of that Brooklyn hotel. And you know what we end up doing is that we borrow someone's ID. There are some people that we hang out with that we like, and you know what happens? We start looking like them. We start dressing like them, cutting our hair like them, acting like them, talking like them, buying clothes like them. Do you know people like that? They're like chameleons. When they're in church, they're raising their hands. They're singing kumbaya louder than anyone else. And then when they hit the clubs, they're dancing on the tables. They're going crazy. They're breakdancing. They transform into the people that are around them because maybe they have low self-esteem and they're scared to be who they are. Then there's the fake ID. Anybody ever have a fake ID? All right. I used to make fake IDs. Let me explain it. Let me explain it before you start judging me. They weren't like IDs to go to liquor stores and get drunk, you know, or drink alcohol. I used to go to a small private school and um, they didn't have student IDs. So whenever I would go to the movies, um, my friends would pay like four bucks and I'd pay like eight or nine bucks. And, you know, enough is enough. And one day I, I, I go and I tell the principal, I'm like, can you please make student IDs? And she's like, what do you think we need them for? I'm like, because I want to get discounts at the movies. And she's like, no, we're not, we're not going to make student IDs for that. And so I went home that night and I made myself a student ID. All right. And, and then the word got out in the school. And then I had a little business going on. I was making student IDs for everybody. Everybody was getting discounts to go to the movies. You know, maybe for you, it's not a fake ID, maybe it's like a forced ID, a forced identity, people around you trying to influence you. They're like, OMG, you got to go here, or you got to start reading Fifty Shades. And by the way, that's not funny. If you're reading that, stop reading that. Um, or you have to go eat here, or you have to go on vacation over there, or you got to buy a Mac and get an iPhone. All right, people that want you to forsake your identity, forsake who you are. People that are trying to influence you to be something that you're not, to be someone that you're not, to not be the person that God created you to be. And this is exactly what is happening in the church, in the area of scripture that we're going to be talking about today. As we continue in our series, Real Authentic Faith in a Fake World, we're taking an in-depth look at the epistle of 1 John. And before we begin reading, I want to give you guys a quick review. Who was John? John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. John was the guy that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, a bunch of people were there. John was there. And Jesus' mom, Mary, was there. And he said, woman, this is your son. Man, this is your mother. This is like, you know what? Take care of my mom. This is the most precious thing I'm leaving here. A guy that Jesus trusted. This guy was with Jesus every step of the way. The beloved disciple of Jesus. Now, John is a pastor. He's the writer of the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote that book. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. All right, this is the same guy. And why was this book even written? What's the context? Well, John writes this letter to the church because a bunch of years have gone by and a bunch of people have begun to believe in Jesus, have given their life to Jesus. They're going to church. And then a lot of people had stopped going to church and kind of started their own religions, branching off of Christianity. You know, they, people that, that didn't see what Jesus did the way that John did. I mean, John was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. John was there when Jesus walked on water. 
I mean, John saw Jesus. But people like us that haven't seen Jesus, we, we believe by faith. And so there's all these new Christians surrounded now by this crowd of people that have stopped following Jesus. And now they're preaching false doctrines. And they're saying that Jesus never rose from the dead, that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that Jesus wasn't God. And they weren't just talking about this stuff at home or in their meetings. They were standing outside of the church meetings where the Christians were meeting, kind of like the Occupy Miami people, you know, in this picture right here. They're like outside of the church and they're saying, Jesus is a fraud. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus was a fake. And in the middle of all this drama is what we're going to read today's scripture. First John. Chapter 2, verse 28. And John starts out by saying, And now, little children. Stop right there. That's like, and now, little children. Is this for like the children's ministry? You know, this term, little children, is only used by John in the entire Bible. It's used eight times by John. And why is it so important that I just kind of stopped right here in the middle of these four words? It's because this shows us John's tenderness. This shows us how much love John had for God's people, how much love God had for the people, how much love John had for the people of his church, for God's children. You know, isn't it true that the older that people get, the nicer they are? Right? And so an old person doesn't have a, an older person doesn't have a problem saying, yes, honey, or yes, my dear, mi cielo, mi amor, querido. You know, when you're having a bad day, does anybody ever call their mom or their grandma and, and all you want to do is just hear their voice, hear how they talk to you. Hear them say, how are you doing, honey? How are you doing, dear? ¿Cómo tú estás, mi amor? Those voices, those words, even just hearing me say that, thinking of your mom or your dad or your grandma, I mean, they bring comfort. And that's what John is doing here. John is now this caring, old pastor. He's writing to a church that's being pressured by this mob. People are saying to them that their savior is a fraud, that God isn't real. People are trying to change their identity. People are trying to make them doubt who they are. And so John is fired up. He's upset and he's writing this letter. It's a letter that he's writing to the churches and this letter gets passed on from church to church. And now it's here. It's our letter. And he's writing it and he's saying, and now my little children, Abide in him. Live in him. Stay in him. Don't listen to those voices on the outside. Don't listen to the mob. Don't listen to the pressure. Maybe don't listen to some of your family members that are out there screaming and telling you that God isn't real, that Jesus isn't real. Abide in him. Live in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You'd stop there. Give me your attention. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is coming back? I said Jesus is coming back. That's like something to be excited about. And John here, he's not talking about fleshly confidence when Jesus comes back. He's not talking about self-confidence or macho man confidence. The type of confidence that he's talking about is confidence that's rooted in right living. Confidence that the things that we're doing in our life right now are right. In 1 Thessalonians, it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a loud voice, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus is coming back, my friends. 
And the Apostle John is saying this, abide in him so when Jesus appears, you remain confident and you don't shrink back from him in shame. You're probably thinking, Pastor Mark, there's no way that I can't be ashamed when Jesus comes back and I stand before him because of the sin in my life. I can't even imagine Jesus standing in front of me. I'd be so embarrassed. I, I'd feel guilty because of my sin. And here's the thing. You're right. There's nothing that you could do to actually stand in the presence of God and live. But here's the amazing thing. That when you turn from your sin and you embrace Jesus Christ, God credits the righteousness of Christ to you. The greatness and the pureness and the amazingness of Jesus is now given to you. Isn't that an awesome thing? That God looks at you through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. Your sin is passed on to Jesus. So now every time that God looks at you, there's this lens. And every time he sees you, God doesn't see your sin. He sees who you are through Jesus Christ. Because the truth is this, that God's eyes couldn't even fall on us if it wasn't for the righteousness of Christ. I love the way Paul paints it in 2 Corinthians. This is actually your memory verse for today. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. What an amazing verse made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The first feeling in your outline today is that my identity is Jesus Christ. I want you to repeat that with me. Say this. My identity is Jesus Christ. My identity is Jesus Christ. Keep reading. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What an amazing thing. That phrase actually, behold, what manner of love. You know what the original translation means? That God's love is out of this world. That God's love is like something that we've never seen, that we've never experienced. It's like from another planet. It's like from another country. That the kind of love that that God has for us is something that we can't even comprehend. And the truth is that we do have some certain degree of knowledge, of experience about what love is. I know, I know that I do. I remember when I fell in love with my wife, I couldn't talk to her enough. I always wanted to be with her. I always wanted to be talking to her. We didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't have texting. Okay, so you're like, call, why didn't you just text her? I couldn't. That didn't exist. You know what we would do sometimes? We, we talk on the phone till like 2, 3 in the morning. And then we're like falling asleep and she would fall asleep. And sometimes we weren't even talking. We were just listening to each other. <sighs> Are you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. All right. And then there were days that we would say, hey, let's not hang up tonight. Let's just like stay connected with the phone unhooked. And then when you wake up, just start pressing all the numbers until I hear the beep, 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 beep. And then I'll wake up and we'll be, you'll be the first one that I talk to. Right? Anybody ever do that? Old people, yeah. And so, and you know what I did back then, way back then? Um, I personally, at about 17 years old, I put all my money together and I bought her a beeper. You guys know what a beeper is? Those of you that don't, I brought a picture of a beeper, right? 
And wherever I went, I would send her these little messages like 1.3. Anybody know what 1.3 means? I love you. Or 1.2.3, I miss you. And then if you're from Hialeah, you know this one, right? 505.38. You're like, first time I got 505.38, I'm like, oh, somebody messed up with the number. You got to flip it around. And it's besos. It's kisses. Right? And, uh, and here's the thing. I just wanted to have a connection with her. You know, I was madly in love with her 19 years ago, and I'm still head over heels in love with her. I know, I know, I understand what love is. And then we had children. All right, and I'm probably going to make some of you puke with all this love talk and showing you pictures of my kids and stuff, but that's the point. Here, check out. There's a picture of my three kids. Um, that's Caleb, Joshua, and Stella. And, and I love these kids. And I remember when we had Caleb. Here's a picture just of Caleb. The, the blonde one kind of in the front there. And um, I remember telling my wife, babe, that's it. Let's not have any more kids. You know, I come from a home where we're seven. All right. And so I'm like, let's just have one kid because I don't think that I could love another human being, another child as much as I love him. All right. It's not possible. You're wondering, isn't there like a little blurry kid in the back? Yeah, that's Joshua. We had another one 16 months later. So that was like one talk, I think. Um, and then that's Joshy right there. And if anybody knows Joshy, uh, that kind of personifies him right there. Ripped jeans, backward hat, on a skateboard. Um, you know, God sent me Joshy, and I have such a special connection with Josh. And I love both of my kids exactly the same. I'm cr- I'd do anything for them. And then a year ago, Stella was born, my daughter. And you know what? Um, everybody would say, oh, you have two boys. Wait till you have a daughter. And I'd be like, give me a break. No difference. I have six sisters. They're so annoying. You know, um, I have a, I have a female dog. I have a little cocker spaniel. I'm good with girls. God's giving me boys. I was raised surrounded by women and no, you know what? God sent me Stella and that's the best thing that's happened to me in the last year. Stella's amazing. I love that little girl. I remember when my boys would cry at night, I'd pretend to be sleeping. I'd be like, and then I like peek. She's still sleeping. And then, you know, my wife would wake up, take care of the kids. Now when Stella cries at night, last night at 2 in the morning, she's crying. I jump out of bed and I run to her room and I'm like, Stella, are you okay? You know, and my wife's like, why didn't you just let her cry? She would have gone back to sleep. You know, as much as we love our kids and we love our wives and we love our husbands and our friends, those that are closest and dearest to us, that doesn't even come close to the love that God has for you and for me. That we should be called children of God. Isn't that amazing? That we should be called children of God. How many of you don't have a dad? Or maybe you don't know your dad. You don't like your dad. Do you know that God is your father? God is your father. That's the next feeling in your outline. He loves you. And he adopts you into his family as his children. Paul's great language in Romans He says that we're adopted into the family of God, that God is our father and that God loves you and cares for you, that he's a good God. That's what we are. We are God's children. What a great declaration. Calvary Fellowship, that's what we are. We are children of God. That's the next film in your outline. That is part of your identity. You are a child of God. Well, isn't everyone a child of God? Nope. Not everyone is a child of God. 
People are created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. Here, I'm going to give you like an extravagant illustration. Some of you are going, what do you mean, Mark? I was tracking with you, and now you're confusing me. All right, Adolf Hitler, child of God. After all the people that he killed. All right, Fidel Castro, a little closer to home, child of God. Not a child of God, not yet, he's still alive. But, or at least they say he's alive. You know, we see like resemblances of him. All right, not everyone is a child of God, but if you accept Jesus, you are a child of God. And so write that down in your outline. I am a child of God. We keep reading chapter 3, verse 1, towards the end there. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The reason that the world doesn't know us It's because the world doesn't know who God is. And now many of you have become Christians. And your non-Christian friends and your family members, you know what? They think you're crazy. You know, or maybe you're thinking, Mark, you don't know her. She is crazy. All right, I'm not talking about that kind of crazy. All right? I'm talking about that you don't live life the way you used to live before. You don't do the things that you used to do before. You're not living like everyone else is living. You put all of that to death. You're not going to the same places that you used to go before. You're not acting the way you used to act. And your friends are saying, man, what are you doing? I thought that you loved this stuff. This is what you were all about. I mean, when we would go party, when we would go to this place, when we would go do these things, you were the first one in line. And they're saying, you know what? Be true to yourself, man. Be who you really are. And you're looking at them and you're saying, you know what? That's right, I used to love doing those things, but that's not who I am anymore. God has changed me. This is my identity. This is my real identity. You're right, yeah, I used to do all those things before, and I used to love them. But now I am ashamed of those things. And you know what happens a lot of times? We expect our friends and our family to be like, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you that you chose to be a father I'm so proud of you that you chose to stay with your husband. I'm so proud of you that you're honoring God, that you're not getting drunk anymore, you're not getting high anymore, that you're going to church, that you're not partying all night and you leave your kids with everyone. Instead of saying that, a lot of times people are like, you know, that's good for you, but not for me. You know, don't come pushing Jesus on me. I hope you're not one of these Jesus freaks now, I hope that you're not, one, I mean, what they used to call us, hallelujahs, you know, like that's what our family would call us, you know, and, and it hurts. It hurts when those that we love the most make fun of us, talk bad about us. Those that, man, you know what, God changed me. I know he could change you. We were buddies. We were partners. We would do this stuff together. God could change you. You know, sometimes you know that people are like talking behind your back and, and making fun of you. You know what, don't get defensive. Look at the life that Jesus lived. Look at the model that he set for us. The Bible says that he went and he died like a lamb that went to the slaughter. And he didn't open his mouth. He just took it for you and for me. Be faithful. I remember when I first became a Christian. I was about seven or eight years old. And my whole family became Christian, like my immediate family. And then the rest of our family kind of turned their back on us. They thought we were crazy. They'd make funny jokes about us behind our back or under their breath. And when we would show up, they're like, hey, you know, we can't do this because they're here. They're Christians, you know. Or they would say, hey, you know what? We have fun. We went out on the boat, but we didn't invite you guys because we know you're Christians now. So Christians can't go on boats, you know. Um, 
And the ones, the ones that I, I remember the most were like my cousins, because, you know, we were about the same age. And, and I remember they would say a bunch of, like, mean things to us and, like, make fun of us. And, and you know, I never really, like, fought back. I kind of took it. And, and um, just this week, 20 years later, uh, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, that actually for the past couple of weeks or months, my, my cousin's posting Bible verses on Facebook. And, you know, I'm just thinking she's, you know, kind of being spiritual. Like, she used to post her horoscope. Now she found the verse she likes. And... And then I noticed this week, you know, there's a picture of her daughter being baptized, her like 12-year-old daughter being baptized at a church, a Christian baptism. And, and, I, and then, you know, I, I go into her page and I'm looking at all this stuff, checking into church. And, and she lives in, in uh, Fort Myers or somewhere on the, on the west over there. And, and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? This is awesome. And she's like, you know what? I just became a Christian and, and I'm living for Jesus now. I understand what you guys used to tell us when we were kids now. And I want my kids, check this out, I want my kids to grow up the way you grow up. I don't want them to go through what we went through. What an amazing thing. You, sometimes you think you're never going to see the fruit of your life. And yet, God's word never returns void. Be faithful through your testimony, through your witness to the people around you. And people will begin to follow Jesus. And right now you're probably thinking, Mark, I get it. I believe it. My identity is Jesus. You know what? I, I live life alone without a dad or, or sometimes I felt my family wasn't there for me or I was a rebel. But you said God is my father. That's awesome. I believe that. I'm a child of God. I have my real identity. I have my real ID. But I feel like the first day that I got my driver's license, you know, I had the permit. I had my picture on it, you know, bad picture. You know, my eyes are all twisted and stuff. But... I need some help. What are some of the next steps that I can take so that I can begin living a life the way that Jesus lived it, so that my identity can be Jesus wherever I go, wherever I am? And here it is. Verse 2, it says, Beloved, now you are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, he's saying, you know what? You're a work in progress. Never stop working. Never stop trying to be a good person, to live the way the Bible is teaching you to live. And then he says this, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so the next feeling in your outline, your next step is I must purify myself what does that mean? Does that mean I got to go to like a medispa, get on like a, a juice diet or something, purify myself? How do I purify myself? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to change the way that you think. We accept Christ. We begin following Jesus. And we got to stop thinking the way that we used to think before. When struggles come your way, you know what? Don't try to solve the problems the way you used to solve them before. All right? When someone hurts you or makes fun of you, cuts you off, you know, cheats you out of a, a raise at work, you don't fight back, you don't push them, you don't get in the way, you don't talk behind their back. You change the way that you think. The Bible says this in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. That's what the world does. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, change the way you think. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
The second thing we need to do, and this is going to sound real basic, but you know what? Stop sinning. All right, you give your life to Jesus. Jesus forgives you of your sin. You got to stop doing the same things over and over and over again. Walk away from that lifestyle. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. You have a new ID. You have a new identity, and it's Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Get rid of that sin. It's going to wrap you up. It's going to trip you up. It's going to stop you from being who you want to be, who you were designed to be, who you were created to be, who you were forgiven to be. The third thing is be faithful, not just when things are good. Be faithful in all circumstances. Be faithful in every single circumstances. When your faith is tested, when things don't go your way, be faithful. You know, one of the privileges that I have being a pastor in this church is praying for people. I love praying for people. And, and so sometimes people call me and, Pastor Mark, can you pray for me? Or they're going through something and they call me up. And, and most of the time, if I can, if I'm, you know, I, I say, hey, would you like me to come over and pray for you? And so um, recently a guy from our church calls me and tells me about a serious thing that's going on in his life. And I pray for him over the phone. And I'm like, hey, do you want me to come over? You know, if not today, maybe tomorrow I could pray for you and your family. And he's like, that'd be awesome. And so I go to his house, and um, it's about 8 o'clock, and I'm sitting on his couch, and, and I'm there to pray for him. And I begin listening to this man talk about how, you know, I know this is a tough time in my life, and, you know, I need to be surrounded by God, but I have faith that God is going to see me through. I have faith that this is just a little thing, a little bump in the road. And he starts talking about his faith and the faith of his family and of his children. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, dude, You don't need me. You know, I'm here sitting and I'm growing as I'm listening to this man's faith. Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Life is not easy, but don't give up. Tough times will come, but don't give up. Maybe you're here today, you're thinking like, Mark, you know what? I know what you're saying, and that's awesome, but you're wrong. I I have my identity. I have an identity. I'm a successful businessman. I have a nice car. I have a good life. I have a hot wife. The girls in the office, they check me out. You know, I'd never cheat on my wife, but it makes me feel good, you know, when the women look at me, and I feel like I still got it, you know? Or maybe you're a woman and you're thinking, you know what, Mark, I got this down packed. I'm a great mom. You know, I'm good to my kids and I'm always there for them. You know, and and I have like cool purses and nice heels and I could still rock my heels at 40, you know, and all this stuff. And that's cool. But if that's your identity, you know what? Those heels break. Your kids grow up and leave. You know, you'll lose that job. Your car will break down. Someone will steal it. You'll lose that nice house one day. And everything will come crumbling down. And your identity will come crumbling down with it. Jesus is the only one that never changes. He's the only one. Amen. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. The only one that can make that claim is Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? I am your identity. I want to be your foundation. I want to be what your life is all about. I want you to be secure. Don't put your trust on the things of this world. Make Jesus your identity. Maybe there's some of you here today, man, that you're Christian. You've given your life to Jesus. You've been baptized. You come to church almost every single week unless it's raining or something. But you're here and you're a good guy and you don't cheat on your taxes. But it's kind of like stop there. No, you're a good mom. You come to church. You make sure your kids are in, in children's church. And, you know, you take them to VBS. And, and you're doing all the right stuff. But it kind of just stops right there. And, you know, there's like a next step that you need to take. And I think for many of you here today, that next step may be to begin serving God. And, you know, it has nothing to do with Calvary Fellowship. And there's actually a guy that asked me the other day, it's like, hey, where does the church need help? And, and I said, you know what? The church doesn't need any help. But there's a bunch of opportunities for you to begin serving God. It's not about help. It's about us being part of the movement of God, us being the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know what? Almost every single time that I get an opportunity to stand before you and, and talk to you about Scripture, I mention serving. And the reason I do that is because serving changed my life. Serving is what has kept me from going back and, and walking away from Jesus because I was always connected to the church. I was always serving God. I said, you know what? This is a big responsibility that I have to be a representative of Jesus. And this is something I did from, I, from the time I was a kid that I could do anything in church. I did it. One of the things that I did as a kid with my family is that we would go and we would feed the homeless. That was part of the ministry that we did at the church. And we did it every Saturday. All right. And I remember the first time we went to feed the homeless and my dad had this bright idea. We should start this ministry at the church. It goes to feed homeless. And he got a couple of his friends and me. And uh, I was eight. And we jumped in the car. We had some food. And we brought a generator because we wanted to preach to them. And we needed power to power our speakers and stuff. And, and we go out there. And my dad cranks out the generator, brings out the pot of food, and starts preaching to the homeless. And I'm translating in English. You know, and um, he's preaching in Spanish and, and the homeless come out with like swords and stuff like, what are you guys doing here? It's the middle of the night. And then some of them start defending us. And man, these guys are men of God. They're here to talk to us about Jesus. And, and we did this, you know, the next week I'm like, dad, I don't think I should go. Those guys had weapons. And he's like, no, you're coming with me. And we kept going. And I remember being 21 years old. And instead of having a big bash, going and get drunk, I had a party in the middle of the streets in downtown with a giant cake with all the homeless. My family came out. We kind of showed them what we've been doing, how we've been serving God. And, and, um, and then I, I got in a band. And we were, like, preaching to people. And kind of, like, my dad kept doing that. And I started doing my own thing, kind of branched out of that. And, and um, you know, sometimes now being a pastor for the years I've been a pastor, all the people that I've talked to, sometimes you kind of get like calluses, you know, and you're like, man, I wonder if people really listen. I, I wonder if any of those homeless ever did anything with their life, you know, or I wonder if the guy that got his face eaten off, if I knew him or I preached to him or something. Um, and, uh, you know, those are just things that I think about. And, you know, you, I talked about this speaking tour that I was on with Bob and 
we're in Brooklyn, in the middle of like a tough neighborhood in Brooklyn. I had just finished talking to over 100 pastors, and I go and I sit down in the back of the room, and this guy walks up to me and says, uh, what's your father's name? My dad's been dead for almost four years. So anytime someone brings it up, it's kind of like, uh, you know. And uh, I said, my dad's name was, was Marco. And he's like, I knew it. I was a homeless in Miami. And uh, your dad and you went to the streets and you would feed us every week. And your dad would preach and, and you would translate. He's telling me my story. Okay, this guy that I don't remember talking to. Okay, and, and I'm like, yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm like, what are you doing now? He's like, I'm a pastor in Pennsylvania. Um, let me tell you something, man. I started crying as that guy's talking to me. And, uh, you know, he's like, I'm married. I have kids. I remember the day that you and your dad picked me up and took me to a drug rehab. All right, I was a little kid, probably at the time, maybe like 12 years old. You know, serving God. And I never thought, I, I thought, you know, it was kind of brownie points with God. You're feeding the homeless, helping people out. And, and, uh, and now this guy walks up to me years later, you know, 20 years later, 20-something years later, walks up to me and says, because of your service to God. I'm a pastor now. I'm not a casualty. I didn't die of an overdose. I have children. I run a drug rehab in Pennsylvania. Just because you were obedient to what God was asking you to do. And maybe today, your next step is to begin serving God. Is to get involved with the movement of God. Check out what God did in this girl's life when she started serving. Check out this video. to Calvary after reading the Bible and never really having known anything about God or the Bible or anything before. I came looking for answers. I came looking for someone to teach me more. And the first day that I came, Mark was preaching. And that same day, I accepted Christ. God has done amazing things in my life since I started serving. I think that every week I hear something from one of the children. They give me answers that are way beyond what I would have expected. They, they bring clarity to things that I had confusion, you know. It's like they teach me sometimes. I'm learning so much about myself through them. And it's just been a really rewarding experience for me. It took me a long time to take this step. Because I never thought that it was something that I had to do or, you know, I don't need to serve. Uh, it's not really important. I'm doing what God wants me to do, you know. But no, I was wrong. As the body of Christ, this is what we're called to do. And I'm very happy that I'm doing this. And every day that goes by, I thank God that he, he led me here and he let me take this step. And, and I was able to do this. If someone wasn't sure if they wanted to serve, I tell them to pray about it, first of all. And, and I think God will lead them. As he led me, I mean, I prayed about it, and God led me to children's ministry. And I know that that's where I'm supposed to be. I definitely tell someone to pray about it, and hopefully they'll take that step.
This is a real person. It's not an actor. Uh, Maureen's here. She's like right there. So let's give it up again. You know what? If you serve here at Calvary, can you stand up for a minute? Wherever you are. Don't sit down. Don't sit, don't sit, don't sit. It's so awesome that you've decided to take that next step. You know, my daughter Stella started walking like two weeks ago. And my two little crazy boys, they run circles around this girl. They jump off the couch. They're like running backwards. And I don't even notice that. I'm looking at Stella as she takes her little wobbly steps. And I'm so proud of her. And maybe you're here today and you know what? You should be standing too. You should say, you know what? I love Jesus. I I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm following Jesus. But I'm not really serving right now. I'm not being a part of this movement of God. Not just here at Calvary, just part of what God is doing. I'm choosing to sit or come or, you know, my life's so busy right now, Mark. There's a bunch of ways that you can begin to serve God. And I believe that today you should be part of this group of people that are standing up here. That maybe a couple of weeks from now, a year from now, we show your testimony about how God changed your life the day you decided to serve. Like Maureen says, she didn't think it was something she had to do. But the day that she decided to do it, God changed her life. And so if you're here today and you want to make a decision, no, I want to be part of this group. I want to start serving. I'm just going to invite you to just stand up next to the people that are around you. Just say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to what God is asking me to do. You know what? When I was 8, 9, 10, when I I was 15 and 16 that I started driving, my dad would say, remember, it's Saturday, we're going to go feed the homeless. And I'd be like, ugh. You know, there's going to be times when it's like, ugh. But those are the best days. You know, maybe one of those days when I was like, ugh, was the day that this guy, Taz, because that's what they called him on the streets, is Taz, and he still goes by that. Now it's Pastor Taz, all right? Maybe one of those days that I didn't want to go, that I was convincing my dad, you know what, dad, we don't have to go every week. God knows, man, we're down. Maybe that was the day if we wouldn't have gone that Taz wouldn't have given his life to Jesus. God wants to use you. Isn't that amazing? That God loves you, he's your father, and now he's, you know what, I want to work through you. I want you to be my hands and feet in this world. And so I'm going to invite you. We have some people that want to pray for you. So as you take this next step, you know, some of the things that I do with Stella, she's taking this next step. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's something to be excited about that I am deciding to be a part of what God is doing here at this church. I'm excited about that. And we're going to cheer and we're going to scream and the drummer's going to play. We're going to be excited as you take this next step in your life because that's what we exist for at Calvary Fellowship. We're helping people take their next step. All right, and maybe you're here and someone's standing next to your friend, your family, or just the guy that just decided to sit next and say, you know what, can you come up with me, you know, and, and pray with me as the, this team up here prays. And so I'm going to invite you to come forward and, and, and 
John or one of the other leaders here are going to pray for you as you take this next step. And they're going to, you know, help you just, just take it. All right? And encourage you. And so for those of you that stood up, I'm excited. And I welcome you to be part of this movement of God. John, you know what? If you just want to maybe come a little closer over here. Stay right here because there's another group of people that are going to stand on this side in just a minute. If there's anyone else that says, you know what? I want to be part of what God is doing. Amen. Amen. Praise God. This is awesome. I'm so excited. I know God's going to change your lives and change other lives through you. Steve, can you come help us pray? Alex, can you come, Rizzo? Maybe you're here today and you're like, Mark, there's no way that I can start serving. There is no way. I can't. Because I'm going through a little bit of an identity thing myself. I need to make Jesus my identity first. You know, you said Christ is my identity, and, and it's not. My identity is like these things that I'm doing, the way that I act. And the decision that you need to make is maybe not to begin serving right now, but to say, you know what, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Give me a fresh start, Jesus. I want to be different. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've walked away. You've gone back to maybe some of the old patterns of life. And today, you want to ask Christ to forgive you. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. George is going to sing. And as he sings, I'm going to be waiting for you right here. And I want to lead you in a prayer that I believe will change your life. I believe that when you decide to give your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is my identity. I want it to be you. It used to be partying. It used to be South Beach. It used to be my boat, my money, my family, my kids. And today I realized that one day I may not have those things and my life would fall apart. The thought of not having some of those people or those things in my life would destroy me. And that's because there's a part of you that Jesus could only satisfy. Jesus needs to be the center of your life. And so as George sings, I'm going to be standing right here and I want to pray for you to begin walking with Jesus today.